0: Disputes, church, that arise among Christians within the confines of a local church should be settled among that local church. And not by civil, ungodly court of law that cannot give the church of Jesus Christ one shred of wisdom on any disagreement. And listen, there's a vast difference between getting a judgment. Because you can take a brother or sister in Christ to court and you can get the judgment but there's a vast difference in getting the judgment and settling the dispute.
1: This is the Divine Truth Podcast, a ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. This podcast is for the purpose of teaching God's people through the verse-by-verse exposition, live from the pulpit of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We pray that the word of God richly blesses you as you hear it proclaimed.
0: First Corinthians, chapter number six, and we're going to begin reading in verse number one. Paul says, dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world, and if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that ye shall judge angels, how much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are Least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. It is so that there is not a wise man among you. No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with, with, uh, with brother and that before the unbelievers. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law with one another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that, your brethren, this is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask you, Lord, to make your word clear to us tonight. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. The further we, the the deeper, I guess you could say, that we get into the book of Corinthians, the more practical Paul deals with issues that were going on in the church. And like so many issues that were going on in the church, the issue started with division that we saw in the first three chapters of the book. And then by the time we're at chapter 6, we're talking about brothers in Christ taking to court brothers in Christ. And the idea of the text is that it was possibly, probably, having to do with money or property that one believer in the church at Corinth was taken to court, another believer in the church at Corinth. And it was a very, very big problem. In the year 2020, there was approximately 332,732 civil lawsuits filed in the United States. 300, over 332,000 civil law, just civil lawsuits filed in the United States. And that is just numbers from the United States. And so in 2020, since there was 332,732 lawsuits, which, by the way, was up 16% from 2019, that means that almost three quarters of a million people in 2020 were dragged into a civil courtroom in the United States. I think it is safe to say that Americans like suing each other. And the number that I gave you is just one person suing another. That is not really taking into consideration the number of multi-person civil suits. Most of the time, people uh, seek civil court not to be made whole. But most of the time, people seek civil court to be made more than whole. In Judaism, the reason that they did not want to settle their disputes among their own communities is because they wanted to gouge each other. They wanted to be able to get out of one another more than was actually due. And all this was going on in the church at Corinth. Of all their problems, as I said before, it began with division in the first three chapters. And when there there is division in the church... Everything else seems to easily fall in place when there when there is divisions among Christian brothers and sisters. Then all the other sins that that happened in this church particular seem to fall into place a little bit easier. Because if I am disunified with my brother sister in Christ, I really have no problem dragging them before a pagan court of unbelievers. And that's Paul's point. These Corinthians they got saved. But they did not complete the separation from the world completely. And so what happened is they dragged many of their old lifestyles into the church, including their proclivity to litigation. Here's the principle, church, that I want to give you before we delve into the text. And this is a text that Paul is teaching in the first eight verses. But here's the principle. It is sinful for a Christian to sue another Christian. That's the principle. It is sinful for a Christian to sue another Christian. And then Paul tells us these principles and the reason why. Number one, the accusation. Let's look at the accusation of the, one of the points that the passage concerns itself with was there was in the heart of Paul a major concern. And here's the key, a major concern for the public witness of the church. Because the immorality that was condemned by Paul in the previous chapter reflected poorly on the church, did it not? Because of the sins of the church, they were sins that even Paul says the pagan Gentiles did not commit. And now Paul criticizes their practice of dragging and bringing civil legal complaints against other believers before the secular authorities. Now listen, folks, it's bad enough when the differences, when the disagreements exist among believers. But airing these disagreements in front of unsaved people is even worse. In this passage, Paul is specific and he demonstrates that it is, that he is most upset with the proclivity of the Corinthian church to sue one another. And as we will see, Paul makes his his, uh, anger over this very, very clear. It's an upsetting thing indeed, if you really think about it. It's an upsetting thing indeed when believers are unable to resolve their disputes among each other. And they bring those disputes before outsiders. And listen, folks, Paul's point is, is that when you bring these disputes Between two Christians into a pagan, unbelieving court, you damage the church's witness. That's Paul's point, as we're gonna see. Notice what he says in verse 1 He says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Now, the word dare is polimao, and it's a present tense. And what Paul tells us by that present tense is this seemed to be a persistent practice of the Corinthians. That they seemed to be consistently bringing other people or bringing each other before the court of law. Paul's concern was not that the believers would not get a fair hearing in a public court. Because they very well may have received a fair hearing. In fact, they may have received a fair, a, a, as fair a judgment as they would have received before each other. So that wasn't Paul's point. Paul's concern was that they had very little respect for the church's ability and authority to settle its own disputes. You say, "Well, this, church, this dispute is between me and this brother; it has nothing to do with the church." Oh, contraire! Are you a member of a local church? then it has everything to do with that church because you not only represent, I not only represent the Lord Jesus Christ in the community, you represent Emmanuel Baptist church in the community. And the way you and I behave ourselves in the community reflect not only Christ, but reflect on the church, right? Now that is a part of church authority that we may not want to abide by, may not realize, may not like, but that is the authority of testimony irregardless. And the word dare has the idea of being so bold as to defy possible danger and opposition. And so certainly the word can have a proper meaning in the proper context, but in this context, it's not so proper. In other words, Paul says, you are so bold as to see and understand the potential danger that your actions can have, not only on yourself, but that your actions can have on the church by bringing a lawsuit against another Christian brother in front of a pagan court, but yet you do it anyway. It's almost like Paul was saying, how dare you? How dare you jeopardize the reputation of not only Christ, but how dare you think so little of your church that you would drag someone else from your church before a judge, before an, un, before an ungodly, unroomful of believers to judge on this matter. Because you have the, Paul says, you have the reputation of the church to contend with. Yes, you have the representation and the reputation of the Lord to contend with, but you have the reputation of the church. And when you damage the reputation of the church when you bring these lawsuits against other believers to an outside court of unjust persons. Speaking about, speaking about taking the authority from the church and giving it to the unrighteous civil court. In the New Testament, folks, who do, you think dis- who do you think settled legal disputes among the members of the church? The elders of the church settled those legal disputes. They didn't take their legal ap- actions to an outside ungodly court. It was, it, was, it was settled within the realm, within the walls of that local church. And Paul says, How dare you do that? How dare you think so little of the Lord, and how th- dare you think so little of the church? as to do that how can you think Paul says how can you even begin to think that by taking a brother before an ungodly judge a court of pagans to settle something that should be settled within the family I love watching court shows you I love watching court shows most of the time I'm glad I'm not the one there some of them are a joke. Some of them are just silly. I mean, you got Steve Harvey. I mean, really? Come on. Steve Harvey. Sorry, Steve. I know we're buddies, but sorry, Steve. But I like Judge Judy. I like Judge Judy. She's not afraid, Jane, to look at somebody and say, you're an idiot. She's a woman after my own heart. You're an idiot. The only thing I looked at, I watched her one night, she looked at a guy and she said, the only thing uglier in this courtroom than this lawsuit is you. Y'all, if you've seen her, you know what I mean. She's calmed down a little in her old age, but she's a little bit, she's a whole lot more spunky some years ago. And I like watching those court shows, some of them. But one, of the, but one of the situations that absolutely is heart-rendering, and, and I see it all the time, is when a mother sues a son. And there can't, it cannot seem to be any resolution to the problem. And unfortunately, it's always over money. It's always over money. You find in a mother suing a son, or sometimes a son suing a father, for money. And that is the saddest situation that I think you could come up with. And you know, yeah, friend, uh, yeah, here, here's Monique, and she's suing her former best friend, Jaquanahim, uh, for ex, you know, whatever. Or you got Rachel suing her ex boyfriend, Tom, whatever. But when you've got so and so suing their mom for money, how sad is that? And folks, listen, it's just as sad when you have Christian people within the confines of a local church that are part of a local body, are supposed to be serving Christ together, and they can't settle a dispute, and they want to drag one another before an ungodly judge. And this was going on in the church at Corinth. And Paul says, how dare you? Because listen, church, the church alone has the resources of truth, don't we? The church alone has the resources of wisdom, the resources of equity, the resources of justice, love, uh, kindness, generosity. The church alone has the understanding that only resides within the people of God. That's why Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And so there is nothing, by the words of the apostle, there is nothing that the church should not be able to handle. Christians are not to take other Christians to worldly courts. And Paul, by the time we get to verse 8, Paul gets pretty stern with these people. Believers who take other believers to court are more concerned so many of the time. Now, I'm not making a blanket statement here, but believers predominantly believers who take other believers to court are more concerned with revenge or gain than they are with the unity of the body of Christ. Because if their primary focus was the unity within the body of Christ, they would settle the dispute within the body of Christ and not drag it through the courts. That's Paul's point. And they're certainly not seemingly concerned with the glory of God. Disputes, church, that arise among Christians within the confines of a local church should be settled among that local church. And not by civil, ungodly court of law that cannot give the church of Jesus Christ one shred of wisdom on any disagreement. If believers who are gifted with the gifts of the Spirit cannot settle the dispute, how in the world do you think that an unbeliever is going to be able to settle it? Because there's a world of difference between getting a judgment. You can take a brother or sister in Christ in court. I'm not quite sure how you would continue to go to church with them. But you can take another, and and that's the second part of the problem. Is you have fractured. And that's Paul's concern. And that's Paul's anger. Is that you are fracturing the body of Christ. You are tearing it up. Why? Over money. And listen, there's a vast difference between getting a judgment, because you can take a brother or sister in Christ to court and you can get the judgment. But there's a vast difference in getting the judgment and settling the dispute. The civil, the unbelieving civil court may give you the judgment you desire, so you believe that you desire, but that will never settle the dispute. Because even though the judgment is quote-unquote satisfied, there is disunity and there's a fracture in the body of Christ, which, church, listen, should be of utmost importance. And this is the shameful part of the matter for the Apostle Paul. And Paul insists that believers are able and should settle their disputes within the confines of the church and not drag each other before a judge. But then Paul gives them something to think about in verse 2. Notice what he says. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? If you are one day going to sit in God's supreme court over the world, why are you then not qualified to judge in the small matters of everyday life that come upon you now? You're going to judge the world one day, Paul says, and you, and you can't settle this dispute among, your, among each other now? And what Paul is referring to is the fact that when Christ returns and sets up his millennial kingdom, believers throughout all history will, will reign as Christ's co-regents. And they will sit with him upon the throne. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 21, John sees to him that overcometh, Jesus says, will I grant to sit with me, with me, and Christ's seat is a seat of judgment. And Jesus says, to him that overcomes, will I grant to sit with me in my throne and, and, with, and with my father in his throne. Daniel refers to this time in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 22, until the ancient of days come, came, the judgment was given to the who? Saints of the Most High. Part of our responsibility as rulers of Christ will be to judge the world. Revelation chapter 2 verse 26, and he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall what? Rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers even as I received of my father. And we're going to be sitting right there making that judgment as with Christ as his co-regents. And Paul says, you can't even judge in the small matters now. You're going to sit on the throne of God? You're going to sit on the throne of Christ? And you're going to judge the world? Listen, he says that ought to make you more qualified to handle the situations that come up here now. But the Corinthian believers were not ruling themselves, but were making a spectacle of themselves before unbelievers, airing their pride, airing their carnality, airing their greed, airing their bitterness before the whole world. Showing to all the unredeemed that those who are redeemed by the sovereign grace of God just for some reason can't get along. and Most of the time, over money. Over money. No wonder Paul said that the love of money is the root of all other evils. How sad, right? How sad. I'm excited about the fact that the day is coming when the church will be handing down judgment on the world. I'm excited about that, aren't you? I've got some people in mind. I'm ready. I'm ready. Come on now, you you feel the same way. I've just got the microphone and the camera. But I'm excited about the day that I'm going to be sitting on the throne with Jesus Christ. I'm going to be sitting on his throne. And Paul's point is that since you're going to be doing that, aren't you competent enough to handle the everyday matters that come upon your church today? And here Paul is arguing from the greater to the lesser. If you are going to judge the world, why can't you judge yourselves? If you're going to be handing down judgment on the world, then why can't you, within the confines of your church, handle judgment among yourselves? The church should be able, Paul says, to mediate problems in the congregation and to settle the matter to the satisfaction of everyone involved. The church should be able to do that. Simon Chrismacher in his commentary on 1 Corinthians said, if the Corinthians receive the singular honor of judging the world, how much more do they dishonor God's name and cause and cause when they bring insignificant court cases before a Gentile judge? You say, well, oh, Pastor, it's not an insignificant court case. Comparing to judging the world, yes, it is. Comparing to judging the world, every case before civil court is insignificant in comparison to eternity, right? in comparison to all of that, it absolutely is insignificant. John Calvin said, Injury is done to the church of God. Get this. Injury is done to the church of God when judgments on matters of dispute connected with earthly things are carried before unbelievers. Injury is done to the church because it shows to the unbelieving world that people in the church just can't get along. Notice what he says in verse three. We're not only going to judge the world, but what does he say in verse three? You're also going to judge who? You're also going to judge the angels. How much more, how much more things that pertain to this life? God is going to entrust you, Paul says, with the judgment of angels. Now we're not quite sure what that judgment is going to be, how, what it's all going to entail. Some people says that the Christians will be judging both the holy and the unholy angels. Uh, the Bible really doesn't give us any type of detail except here of the fact that we will be judging the angels. I can only assume that it will be that we are going to be judging, and you can't be dogmatic about this because the Bible isn't dogmatic, but I can only assume that the judgment that Paul is talking about here is a judgment among judgments that's going to be passed on to the fallen angels. Because in my understanding, holy angels do not need any judgment, but they are good people. Uh, in in the, theological worlds that believe that we will be judging both holy and unholy angels, well, I just don't think that that's possible to pass a judgment upon a, a creature, a being that has never known sin. So we can, but we can't be dogmatic, but we do know that we will be judging angels, and it'll probably be the fallen angels. But whatever it may be, that's not what's germane to the point of Paul but Which is why he didn't elaborate on it. But whatever the realm may be, folks, listen, the point is the same. If you're going to be judging the world, then you need to be able to settle dispute among yourselves. And if you're going to be judging the angels, then you need to be able to settle dispute among yourselves. If God is going to entrust you with doing this to the world and doing this to angels, certainly People within the body of Christ, guided by the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures, should be able to settle a disagreement among themselves. Right? Just like I tell couples when I'm in marital counseling. Two people that are living together, two selfish people that are living together, two selfish sinful people that are trying to reside in the same home, should be able to get along when both of them are led by the Spirit and the Word of God. And the same holds true in the church. A bunch of people that have come from differing backgrounds, a bunch of selfish people that come from differing backgrounds should be able to get along when we're guided by the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures. Paul says, you're going to judge the world. You're going to judge angels. And you can't figure out the disputes, the little things that happen to you down here on earth. Look at verse four. "If then you have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are at least who are least esteemed in the church. Listen folks, secular, earthly judges who are not part of the church have no place judging believers. And Paul is disappointed that this church has subjected themselves to secular authority. And in Paul's day, just like ours, the civil courts. And I'm not busting on the legal system. I have judges that are friends. But like Paul's day, just like ours, the civil courts were subject to partiality and favoritism. And nobody knows that any better than Mark and Rex, that the court systems are filled with partiality and favoritism. And it's not necessarily a place, church, to seek justice or to find it. And it's certainly not a place for two Christians who have a problem within the confines of the local church to seek justice. And Paul says, how dare you, verse 1, how dare you drag each other before courts? You're going to judge angels. You're going to judge the world. You need to figure this out on your own. John MacArthur states, when Christians have earthly quarrels and disputes among themselves, it is inconceivable that those who will rule eternally should try to settle them through tribunals run by unbelievers. Isn't he right? Those people that are going to rule the world and rule angels, but we're going to run our problems in front of an ungodly judge. Two Christian parties cannot agree between themselves. They should ask fellow Christians to settle the matter for them and then abide by that decision. And listen, the poorest equipped believer who seeks counsel from God's word and God's spirit is much more competent to settle disagreements between fellow believers than a judge with a doctrine in law. The most highly trained and experienced unbelieving judge is void of divine truth, and that's where this needs a rise or fall. And so that's the accusation. Paul says, "I dare you, drag each other before court. He says, You're going to judge the world. You're going to judge angels, and you can't settle this dispute among yourselves." Number two, not only the accusation but the abasement. Look at verse 5. Paul follows this accusation with the abasement that their actions were not only wrong, but they were what? Shameful. Look what he says in verse 5. I speak to your what? Shame. It is so that there is not a wise man among you. No, not one that, that shall be able to judge between his brethren. He says, Paul says, This is shameful. Your motives and your intentions are wrong. And he says, not only are your motives and your intentions wrong, but you send the wrong testimony. You send the wrong message. And that is shameful. It is so that there is, verse 5 again, it is so that there is not a wise man among you, no, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren, but brother goeth to law with brother. And that before the unbelievers. He said, you can't find somebody among your church that has enough wisdom guided by the Holy Spirit and the word of God to settle this matter, but you've got to drag that poor brother before an unbelieving judge. And you say that you're concerned with the testimony of the church and your testimony as a believer staying intact. Paul says it's not going to happen not going to happen. When the world sees that God's people can't get along, then why would the world want anything to do with what God's people claim to have? Paul says, there's, no one, there's nobody among you that's got enough wisdom to handle this matter? He says, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Know what he says in verse 5? He says in verse 5, I speak to your shame. You should be ashamed of yourself. Now, we understand that in our society, things are a little different. Quarrels between Christians over rights and properties cannot help but come before secular court. That's the way our law system is set up. That's just the way it's set up. For instance, when a Christian is being divorced by his or her spouse, it's Wayward, with, wayward out of fellowship with God, the law requires that secular courts be involved. That's just the way that our court system is set up. But folks listen, does that mitigate the shame? Does that pamper the shame? Does that lessen the shame of it all? Just because our, Just because our legal system requires certain things take place, doesn't mean that it doesn't, doesn't mean that it doesn't lessen the shame. But even in those exceptions, when a believer finds himself or herself in the unavoidable court of law, their purpose there should always be to glorify God and never and never show selfish gain or advantage. But the general rule for Christians, according to Paul, do not go to court with fellow Christians, but settle the matter among yourselves. Because such actions, Paul says, are shameful. Now, you think you're uncomfortable now? Listen to Paul's third point, the alternative. You've got the accusation, the abasement, and the alternative. Since Paul is clear that taking your fellow brother to court is not the proper option, what does he say, what does he say is the alternative? Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you. What's Paul saying there? Paul says, if you take a brother to court, guess what? Paul says, they're not at fault. You are. Now what he says? Now, therefore, there is utterly fault among you. What is the fault among you? Well, what's he been talking about? Verses one through five, taking your brother to court. The point is is that when a Christian takes another Christian to court, they have already lost spiritually before the case is ever heard. And listen, church, that is what needs to be the most important focus of a Christian's life is the spirituality of their faith and not gain. Or even being made whole or being made right. The word fault there. Is a word that means and it speaks about a loss. Now, therefore, there is utterly a loss among you. Paul says that the fact that you have legal disputes among yourselves is indeed evidence of your complete spiritual failure. John MacArthur again says, quote, a believer who takes a fellow believer to court for any reason loses the case in the sight of God. End quote. He has suffered. A spiritual defeat. MacArthur goes on and adds, he is selfish and he discredits the power, wisdom, and word of God when he tries to get what he wants through the judgment of unbelievers. Now notice what he says in verse 7 again. Here's Paul's alternative. Paul says, you're not to take a brother or sister to Christ to court, In a civil matter. But here's your alternative. The accusation is. Is how dare you. The abasement is. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. The alternative. Verse 7. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves. to be defrauded? Paul says that the right attitude of the Christian. Is to be wrong and defrauded. Rather than sue a fellow Christian. Now let that settle in for a little while. Paul says, you would be better as the believer to suffer loss than to drag that Christian brother or sister before an unbelieving court of of judges. It is far better to lose financially than to lose spiritually, even when you have a clear legal right. That's not what's in play here. What's in play here is not whether or not you have a legal right, church. And this is where we need to change our thinking. A lot of times, the point is, is not that you have or don't have a legal right. The point is in our life is what's going to glorify God? And what's going to keep the unity of the body of Christ? Because as I've said to you a few weeks ago, the purity of God's church is more important than anything else. And the point is, is not whether you have legal standing. The point is of not that you can't make the case beyond a reasonable doubt. And Of course, that doesn't fly in civil courts, but you know what I'm saying. But the point is, is that the most important thing on your heart and your mind should be not losing spiritually, maintaining the faith, and maintaining the unity of the body of Christ. And Paul says, you would be rather better off to lose the money than to lose a brother in Christ. Even if you have been wronged, even if you have been wronged, then the spiritual response is what? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And then leave the matter in the hands of God. And then gratefully accept what he sovereignly allows. Simon Chrismacher again states, quote, even if a judge should rule in favor of the plaintiff, the court case already has had detrimental effects on both the defendant and the entire Christian community. The question you need to ask yourself is what's more important? Financial gain or unity in the church? Unity in the body of Christ. Paul says that you should be willing to take a loss. You should be willing to be defrauded if it means unity in the body of Christ. Leave the situation to the Lord. Be satisfied with His what he sovereignly allows and leave the matter in his hands. Because we do great harm to the church. We do great harm to the body of Christ when we take matters in our own hands, don't we? This is practical stuff for everyday life. Now look at verse 8. What does Paul say? No, nay. Ye do wrong and defraud. Paul says, you know, if you take a brother or sister to Christ in court, Paul says, you want to know who's guilty of defrauding who? What does Paul say? Who does Paul say if you take a brother or sister to, in Christ in court before a civil judge, who does Paul say is guilty of defrauding who? Paul says you are guilty as the plaintiff of defrauding the defendant. You're the one. If you bring the lawsuit, Paul says, verse 8, you're the one that's guilty of defraud. defrauding your brother in Christ by dragging them in front of unbelieving civil court, you're the one guilty of defrauding, Paul says. You're the one guilty of cheating your own brother. What's the alternative then, Paul? What's Paul's alternative? To put it in today's vernacular, Paul's alternative, church, is to do what? Take the hit. Take the hit. Or we call in tax terms, write it off. Take the deduction on your taxes, right? That's legal. I'm not a a CPA, but that's legal. Write it off. Be satisfied with not defrauding, taking the hit, and being right before God. And leave it there. And be satisfied at how he handles it. Because folks, like I said, we need to... A lot of times we need to change our thinking on this. We need to change our thinking on this. Because the most important thing in dealing with other Christians, now listen to me, the most important thing in dealing with other Christians is not your rights. Let's be truthful. If we recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ, guess what? We lost our rights the moment we trusted Christ. The moment you trusted Christ, you gave all your rights to him. Because you became his slave, you became his possession. And you gave all your rights to him. And so we need to be more concerned with unity in the body of Christ than we are our legal rights. That's what Paul says. What Paul says. And the the text is pretty clear. The text is pretty clear. There's no ambiguity in the text here. It's pretty clear what Paul is saying. Take the hit. Take the hit. Versus dragging each other before a court of unbelievers, uh, harming the name of Christ, harming the reputation of the church. Just take the hit and write it off and go on with life. Leave it to God. Forgive and love one another. It's a shame, it's a, it's a sad day indeed in the life of the church when anything comes between a brother or two Christian uh, people, but especially when that thing that comes between two Christian people is money. Is money. That's one of the reasons I'm so glad I don't have any. I don't have any. One Christian attorney I read this week said that over the years he has, he has spent practicing law, that he has counseled dozens of Christians to drop lawsuits against each other. And about, he says in this article I read, he said in about 90% of the cases, uh, he has been successful in getting them to drop these lawsuits between each other. And without exception, he said, this is his testimony, without exception, the believers that have dropped those court cases against other believers have been blessed. But he also gave this testimony that without exception, those who insisted on resolving their disputes in court have become bitter and resentful. Because folks, let me tell you something. You may get the judgment, but you're not going to settle the dispute. Ever. You may get a court to award you the money that's owed you, that your legal right. But you'll never get that court of unbelievers to settle the dispute. And what they'll always be is not only have you brought and marred the name of Christ and the church before an unbelieving court, but you have fractured the body of Christ because never again will that relationship be the same. And this lawyer gave testimony that in every case where they have insisted on resolving their disputes in courts, it has always ended in bitterness and resentment toward each other. Whether or not the court was, whether or not the case was won or lost. Because when they went to court, they lost always. You lose spiritually. Because we were not following the principles of God's Word, church. Listen, you know me. God's word cannot be improved upon. And when God's word gives a specific command in a specific way that we're to do something, it cannot be commanded, it cannot be uh, added to or made better. And when you and I try to do it differently, we usually mess things up, don't we? Whether it be this or whether it be anything else, when we try to do things differently or or, or uh, make the word of God better, we think, we always end up making it worse because when you go to court with another brother, you always lose spiritually. The Lord knows the needs of his children and he will see that their needs are met. But you and I need to have the perception and the perspective that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 6, 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Notice Jesus doesn't say there, seek ye first your legal rights. Don't, notice he says, seek, don't seek ye first what you're owed. Seek ye first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and then everything else will be added to you. Our problem as Christians is that we, we don't get the latter because we don't do the first. We don't get the latter because we don't do the former. We don't get all, of our, all this stuff added, uh, added to us because we don't first seek his kingdom first. A Christian's primary concern should not be to protect his possessions or his rights, but to protect his relationship with the Lord and his relationship with fellow believers. That should be his number one priority in life at any cost, even if it means you take a financial hit. Paul says, I dare you do this. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You have marred the name of Christ and you have marred the name of the church by your actions. And You should be more concerned about the testimony of Christ than you are what you think your legal rights are. Settle the dispute, Paul says, among yourselves. Paul doesn't doesn't deny the fact that disputes don't exist. Paul is just saying, settle them among yourselves. He doesn't deny the fact that they don't exist. And he doesn't deny the fact that they shouldn't be settled. He just says, settle them among yourselves. You're going to judge the world. You're going to judge angels. He says, I think you can take care of being owed $20. I think you can handle that. You're going to judge the world. You can judge angels. I think you can handle being owed $5,000. I think you can probably handle that on your own. If you're going to judge the world one day. So he's not denying the fact, church, and I don't want you to misunderstand. He's not denying the fact that disputes don't exist and that the elders of the church should not be involved in settling those disputes. But he says, do it among yourselves. Only thing he's condemning is dragging them before unbelievers. Settle them among yourselves. Because it is shameful, Paul says, when you drag into among, uh, in front of unsaved people. You mar the name of Christ, you mar the reputation of the church, always lose spiritually. And he says, you should be willing to take the hit, he says in verse 7. You should be willing to take the hit rather than lose your testimony and lose a brother in Christ. Because oh yeah, by the way, he says, you're the one that's doing the suing. You're the one that's really defrauding somebody. You're You're the one guilty of defrauding someone because you've acted in an ungodly way.
1: Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the Word of God has been a spiritual blessing to your soul. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Our Lord's Day services are 10 and 11 a.m., as well as 6.30 p.m. We also have a Wednesday service at 6.30 p.m. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that the message of God's divine truth would always go from the cross through the church to the world until Christ come. God bless you.